0: for it. I am your host, Paul Gannon. For the next 90 minutes, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you'll get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. This is the show, slash begin. Send messages to the show on Twitter at go for again. And while you're there, on Twitter at go 4 give me a follow. G O F O R I T G A N D. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by San Diego Chargers safety, San Diego Chargers special teams standout Daryl Stuckey. Going to talk to Daryl about the Chargers' big victory against the, uh, against the Texans in Houston. First time the Houston Texans have lost in Houston all year long. So they were five zero at one point, and now the Chargers went up there, slapped the loss on them. But we're going to be joined by Daryl Stuckey to talk about that victory talk about some things he has in store. He's given up his week 13 cleats, and we're going to ask him why and who he's given those week 13 cleats to. So we're going to talk to Darryl Stocky. And Darryl will be joining us at 745. So he'll be joining us at about 745. So make sure you stick around for that. As we go throughout the course of these 90 minutes, we're going to talk uh, college football playoffs. Got to get to that. Got a bunch of games that's going to decide and determine what, in fact, those playoffs look like, who will be in those playoffs. Should be fun. Should be exciting. Tomorrow, we're going to learn a lot of things. Actually, starting tonight, we're going to learn some things. that you got Washington, Colorado for the Pac-12 championship game. But we'll get to that. We most definitely will get to that. Talk some NBA as well. Clippers going to Cleveland and get a big time victory. We'll discuss it. Russell Westbrook, triple double machine. I mean, just a walking triple double. Averages a triple double. We'll get to that as well. But let's start with what we saw last night in Minnesota with the Cowboys and the Vikings. Cowboys found a way last night to win their 11th straight game. Dak. Wasn't that great. Ezekiel Elliott was okay. And the Cowboys offense as a whole wasn't very good. And and that's a byproduct of that Vikings defense. Could be a byproduct of them being a little off as well, playing a Thursday night game. But you look at this Cowboy football team, and last night I'm always impressed by teams who win where they don't have their best stuff. It's like a pitcher who's on the mound. He's scuffling and he's scuffling. Doesn't have his best stuff, but finds a way to get through, finds a way to get those three outs per inning, finds a way to get the necessary outs to keep his team in the baseball game and ultimately give his team an opportunity to win a baseball game. And I'm always impressed by football teams who – or teams in general, football, basketball, baseball, sports in general, where you don't bring your best, you don't bring your A game, but even though you don't bring your best, even though you don't bring your A game, you find a way to get it done. And that's what the Cowboys did last night. The Vikings helped them out. Adam Thalen, he helped them out with that fumble. That was huge. That was a game. That was a game. But I think even more bigger than that, I think bigger than that, was that field goal. That field goal was huge. Because now that field goal, that field goal put you up eight. And then the Cowboys, I mean, that field goal put you up eight. And the Vikings were having a hard time moving the football. And you knew they were going to have a hard time, you know, scoring a touchdown. Ultimately, they scored a touchdown. But they had to get the two-point conversion and you knew they were going to have a hard time doing that as well. And they didn't. They didn't get it done. And you can argue maybe there should have been a face mask or a hit to the helmet by Cedric Thornton, but it wasn't called. But the Vikings got pushed back by a false start, Carl. And that didn't help at all. But anyway, that drive where the Cowboys got that field goal, you know, that was huge because you went up eight, and that was big time. And the big reason for that was Ezekiel Elliott's 30-yard scamper would kind of help set up that put them to the Dallas 46. And they got a few more yards after that. And ultimately it set up the field goal that that pretty much put the Cowboys up eight and was the difference in the football game. And I said LA had actually got to the 24 after that run. So that was huge. That was that was huge, man. It, it just turned everything around for the Cowboys. Obviously the Thalen fumble was huge which set up a touchdown to Des Bryant. I mean, I mean, obviously that was huge. But that field goal was even bigger because that field goal put them up eight, and that field goal ended up being the deciding margin for the Cowboys. That was the, the points that held up that field goal. So it was huge. But I look at that game, and again, the Cowboys didn't play their best, and they struggled. Fortunately for the Dallas Cowboys, they played an offense, that Minnesota Vikings offense which is having a hard time protecting their quarterback, Sam Bradford. That Minnesota Viking offense, which is missing some key pieces, including Adrian Peterson, who's a big-time back, who is a Hall of Fame back, a a guy that obviously you need on that football field in order for you to have the level of success that you want to have. I mean, he's a home run hitter. He's a game breaker. The Vikings need home runs. They need game breakers. They need a lot. They need a lot, but offensively, it's a struggle. So they they pretty much run a short passing game. They pretty much give up on third and longs. I mean, just dump it down, you know, punt the football away, and focus and concentrate on you know let your defense get it done. And that's what they tried to do throughout the course of yesterday's football game. And ultimately, the defense made a play for them. You know, got that strip sack, and they set up a field goal that ultimately put them up nine to seven. But again. Special teams let them down, and that was the margin. That was the margin, man. That was the tough part about it. The Vikings had them. The Vikings had an opportunity to put the Cowboys away, and they didn't. So, at this point, you look at the. Let's start with the Cowboys. We look at the Cowboys at this point. I mean, in terms of them having home field advantage throughout the course of the playoffs, that's probably going to happen. That's probably going to happen at this point. I mean, two and a half games up on the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, three games up on the Lions and the Falcons. Only team that possibly could catch them, maybe, is the New York football Giants, who beat the Cowboys earlier in the season and have another matchup with the Cowboys coming up. So the Giants are a football team that possibly could catch the the Dallas Cowboys. The Giants are the team that possibly could catch them. But I don't think they will. They will. I, I don't think they do it. they'll do it. I actually think they'll lose. I think they're going to lose on Sunday to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they're losing to the Steelers. And so I think that's pretty much going to put that away. And I think at the end of the day, they got the Giants next week, the Cowboys. But I think at the end of the day, I think at the end of the day, the Dallas Cowboys are going to have the best record in the NFC. Dallas Cowboys are going to have home field advantage. And the Dallas Cowboys, the playoffs, are going to go through Dallas. Now, do I see Dallas as invincible? No. But they do have a big-time offensive line. They do have a big-time rookie running back. And then, and Dak Prescott's been playing some solid football. But here's the thing. Obviously, if we go to the playoffs and move to the playoffs, it becomes a different animal. It becomes a bigger stage. The stage gets bigger. You remember Big Ben, who had a lot of success during his rookie season, ultimately got the Steelers to the AFC title game. Tom Brady and the New England Patriots put a beat down on him there in the AFC championship game, and, and Big Ben actually struggled in that particular game. So you look at that, you look at how impressive he's been, you look at some of the things he's done, And obviously, he's been big time for the Cowboys. But here's also the thing. I think at some point, they're going to see the Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs. They're going to see the Seahawks in the playoffs. And that might come in the NFC title game. And I think when that happens, because I think it's going to happen, I think we could run into a situation, a la the Patriots and the Steelers, where the Patriots – Uh, The team, you know, the more veteran-laden team, the team that, you know, had a championship pedigree. I mean, they already won in 2002 at the time. I think they were coming off the win uh, against the the Carolina Panthers. So they were, you know, trying to repeat. So that was a team that had championship medal. That was a team that, you know, was a championship-caliber football team, had veterans all around. This Seattle Seahawks football team is similar in this respect. They're a football team, you know, won a Super Bowl. Then the following year, got back to the Super Bowl. And then last year, they lost in the playoffs in a divisional round to the Carolina Panthers. But I look at the Seattle Seahawks team, and I see a team that's more experienced. I see a team that, you know, defensively is back. They're, they're doing the things that they did, During that run, that run that got them to -to back-to-back Super Bowls. They're doing those type of things. They're keeping teams out of the end zone. And I think it's going to be very interesting when those two teams get it on because they're getting it on. It's just a matter of when they're getting it on. But they're getting it on in the playoffs. And you look at the Seattle team, number one in points per game. That's the biggest metric. I look at when it comes to your defense. That that's the biggest, most important metric. Aren't you keeping teams out of the end zone? And they're doing it. seventeen points per game. So teams are not scoring against the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, by the way, the Dallas Cowboys are fifth. 20 points per game. That might be a more of a byproduct of an offense that stays on the field and keeps your offense off the field. So that might be a byproduct of that. But I look at the Seahawks and the Cowboys, I think they're on a collision course to meet in the NFC title game. It's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. Again. Okay. A lot of football to be played, a lot of things can happen, injuries and things of that nature. So I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion. But what I'm saying is it's beginning to look that way. And if it happens to go go down that particular way, I think it's going to go the way we saw Pittsburgh and New England during Big Ben's rookie season. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but we'll see. And we'll, we definitely shall see. Let's go to Sam Bradford now. and this is a guy, first and foremost, has there ever been a guy who's got as much money for doing so little? I mean, Sam Bradford, we've been waiting, we've been waiting. We've been waiting, and we've been waiting for him to, to step up and become that guy. we made so many excuses for him, whether it's in St. Louis. They just never built an offense around them. Whether it's in Philadelphia, same deal. Didn't have a lot of guys in those skilled positions. We made excuse after excuse after excuse for a guy who's done too much nothing a guy whose highest touchdown season is 15. i mean we, we we just been waiting and waiting and waiting i said 15 let me take that back the highest number was 21. let me take that back i was looking at the interception column but the highest number was 21, but only eclipsed the 20 touchdown mark one time. And we can talk about injuries. Yes, that hurts. We can talk about him not having the necessary weapons. Yeah, it helps to have weapons. But this is a guy who just found ways to get paid, to get paid, and to get paid again. I mean, this guy stays getting paid. Just stays getting paid. I mean, payday after payday after payday. And you're like, what did Sam Bradford ever do? to get this type of money. I look at Sam Bradford. He's got the best luck. He's got the worst luck, too. Best luck from this standpoint. Last guy to come in as a rookie and get that astronomical rookie money. I mean, Sam Bradford got some big-time rookie money. Number one draft pick and got paid and there was a time where number one picks were getting paid were getting paid and Sam Bradford he came in and from the gates from the beginning got big time money Got big time money. I mean, he came into the league. His age. I. I mean, <laughs> amazing. But he came in, right? Got that big time money. Got cut that big check. And again, at the time. Guys were getting cut that big check. I mean, six years, $78 million for Sam Bradford. I mean, the largest contract ever, ever for a rookie. $50 million in guarantees. So he went through that whole contract. And then became a free agent. All right? Became a free agent. And... Then the Eagles said, you know what, Sam? You finished the year pretty well. Um, We're still not sure what we're doing quarterback-wise. We don't know what we're going to do in terms of the quarterback position. But we're going to sign you to a two-year $36 million deal. Oh, by the way, 26 of that guaranteed. So we're gonna give you more money, and then he gets traded. You know the, the Vikings. You know the Vikings take uh, Teddy Bridgewater goes down. They're desperate for a quarterback. They feel like they got a football team that can go places. So they decide and give the Eagles a first-round pick. For Sam Bradford, a first rounder, and after the first few weeks of the NFL season, you're saying, "Well, even though they gave up a first rounder, it's probably going to be a low, a, a high first round, a low first rounder, I should say. It's going to be somewhere in the twenties because the Vikings are probably going to be a team that's going to be fighting." in terms of winning or, or going to a Super Bowl. I mean, the Vikings were going to be one of those teams after those first few weeks, after starting 5-0, after getting off to a big-time start. You know, we, we watched that Green Bay Packer game, and we see Sam, you got Chris Collinsworth talking about, this is one of the more impressive performances I've ever seen from a quarterback. You know, you look at that game, and you're saying to yourself, you know what? Maybe the Vikings have got something, and maybe Sam Bradford has finally found that home, that place, that situation where he can excel and and be great. Adrian Peterson goes down. You know, your wide receiver situation is just okay. I mean, and and the Vikings, the offensive line situation, you know some injuries there, offensive line situation. Pathetic at this point. But Sam Bradford, you could argue the same thing happened to him in St. Louis. Didn't have the skilled guys around him. Didn't have guys in the, uh, you know, didn't have big time wideouts and everything. Same thing happened in Philly. Didn't have big time wideouts. Now the same thing is happening to him in Minnesota. But you know what? At the end of the day, the check still gets cut. he's still getting those game checks. He's still banking all that money. He's still living large. And I think at the end of the day, at this point in time, it's time to call Sam Bradford what he is. He's just an average quarterback. He's just a guy. He's just an average guy. That's it. Just an average guy. And there's really no getting around that. There's really no nothing you can say at this point. He's just an average guy. And that's okay, I guess. I mean, he's serviceable. But health has been an issue. Obviously, during his time with St. Louis, and even with Philly, you know, he missed a few games. So health has been an issue for Sam Bradford. But his skill set, it's, it's not – You're not drooling when you watch Sam Bradford play. He's made a lot of money off of doing a lot of nothing, really, quite frankly. And, again, right place, right time. Right place in that last rookie deal, getting that last big-time rookie contract. Right place. Going to the Philadelphia Eagles who are quarterback starved. And then, you know, signing a new deal when the Eagles needed a quarterback. They were in need of a quarterback. And and we were still drooling and saying, you know what? Maybe he can do something. Maybe this is what he needs. Chips gone. Maybe the offense with, with uh Doug Peterson will suit him a little better. We waited. We waited. We waited. We waited. We waited. We waited. And then again, he goes to Minnesota and it got off to a 5 0 start. And we were saying, This was it. This is the spot. This is where he's going to go off. This is where he found the home. This is where the Vikings have found maybe their quarterback of the future. Forget Teddy uh, Bridgewater. We might have Sam Bradford, our quarterback of the future. I mean, we waited and we just thought about it. And we thought about it. And we just kept saying, This guy this was the spot, this was the spot, this was the spot. But I think we can say, and I think we can say this confidently, he's a guy. He's just a guy. He's an average quarterback. Average quarterback. And I think everybody can say that at this point. I mean, he's going to need some things around him for him to have the level of success necessary. He's going to need some things. And that's just the reality of the situation. He's gonna need some help. He's gonna need a back. He's gonna need some big time wide. He's gonna need wideouts. He's gonna need some help. That's just the reality of the situation. When it comes to Sam Bradford, he needs help. He needs it. He needs help. And there's not much help in Minnesota. And that's just the reality of the situation. Just not much help in Minnesota. It's a tough situation. But at the end of the day, if you're saying Bradford, that check is still getting cut week in and week out. And you look at the Vikings, 6-6 six and six at this point. And if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you're excited. You're loving it. That pick is getting better and better and better and better and better. But you look at the Vikings, the one and a half games out of the NFC North, and I still think they're still in that. But you look at this football team, offensively, they got to get it right. And I'm not sure, you know, obviously if Adrian Peterson gets back, that's going to be a huge help. But just looking at their schedule, you know, at Jacksonville, That's a winning game. That's a game you should win. But at the same time, at the same time, with this offense, you don't know if they can win it. You know, at Jacksonville, you got the Colts coming to Minnesota, another high-powered offense, at Green Bay on Christmas Eve, and then the Bears at home. So the schedule is not daunting. And if they could turn that offense around – Maybe they could run the table, and maybe they could find a way to get into the playoffs. Maybe I will say this about this team: what with what they have on the defensive side of football, I don't think you want to see this group in the playoffs because that defense can keep you into some football, keep you in games, and you know against one of the best, one of the better offenses in football, they kept the team in the game and kept them in the game. You know, again, if it wasn't for that special team situation, that special team fumble by Adam Phelan, if that fumble doesn't happen, who knows? But the Cowboys are one of the more prolific offenses in football, and you shut that offense down, held to the 17 points. So you did what you needed to do. This is a team that averages close to 28 points a game. So you did defensively what you needed to do, You just need a little more help from Sam Bradford in that Vikings offense. But that's an offense. Excuse me, that's a defense. That if, 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 if they can find a way to sneak into the playoffs, I don't think that's a defense you want to see. We'll see. We'll we'll see. But it should be very interesting to see what happens with the Minnesota Vikings. This is a big weekend for college football. Big, big weekend. And it's going to, we're going to see some things. And we're going to decide a lot of things. A lot of things are going to be decided. And at this point, if we look at the rankings, and we'll see if those rankings hold, but if we look at the rankings, top four teams Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Washington. Now, in my opinion, those top four teams will stay. It's going to be those top four teams. Alabama's a lock, no matter what happens to them. Um, Ohio State is a lock, as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, they can't play again; they're done. They didn't make it to the conference championship game. Clemson obviously has to beat Vtac to stay in, and Washington has to beat Colorado to stay in. On the outside looking it at this point, Michigan at five, Wisconsin at six. And Michigan can't Michigan can't do anything to to enhance their case. They're done. They have to stand on their resume at this point. Wisconsin and Penn State, who battle tomorrow in the big Ten title game, you know, maybe they can get maybe they can do some things. That should be interesting. And you know, you got Colorado a two lost team. I mean, if they win. Maybe you have to think about Colorado. They beat Washington, and then Clemson loses. I mean, it, it's it's a lot of crazy things can happen if Clemson loses and if Washington loses because at that point, it becomes interesting. If you're in a committee, do you throw Michigan back in there? Or do you throw the winner or does the winner of Wisconsin-Penn State essentially be for a playoff berth. Could that be a possibility? I mean, it's going to be interesting. To see what the committee does if everything goes haywire. And haywire meaning Clemson and Washington losing. Because I think if those two teams lose, I think those two teams come out. And I think you could... I think Michigan's going to throw themselves back in there and possibly Penn State because the big 10, one of the better conferences in college football may be the best conference in college football. The big 10, you know, it, it's been a big time conference, a big time conference. I think if Washington and Clemson lose, I think Michigan gets back in. I think Wisconsin and Penn State, they battle it out for that fourth spot. I, I think that's what it, that's what it's going to be. Because if you just look at the way it is, now maybe Colorado leapfrogs all of them. Maybe Colorado leapfrogs Penn State or Wisconsin. I don't know. I don't know what the committee's going to do. But I think if I'm the committee, And I value the Big Ten the way I think they value the Big Ten because if you look at the standings, top ten teams in terms of the the playoffs, five, Penn State seven, Wisconsin six, and Ohio State two. So four out of the ten come from the Big Ten. So with that being said, I think it's only logical if Wisconsin and Clemson lose, that Michigan slides in, and that also Penn State or Wisconsin, the winner of the Big Ten title game, slides in. I think that's what happens. I really do. Because how can Colorado – well, you can argue Colorado beat a one-loss team in Washington. It's gonna be fun if it goes haywire. But I think I think if we look at it this way, I think we look at it this way. I think if Washington loses, I think Wisconsin I think Michigan gets in. I think Michigan replaces Washington. Now, and that's a I mean, all these things are possible. If Wisconsin if Washington loses, Michigan replaces them, in my opinion. I really do believe that. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see how this whole thing plays out. But I know one thing. I know one thing. Here's one thing. It's going to be fun. It's going to be most definitely fun to see how this thing plays out. I'm looking forward to it. I'm interested, man. It starts tonight, Colorado and Washington, and then it keeps going tomorrow. And then it's going to be a lot of fun tomorrow. The committee, I mean, it's going to be fun. And you can talk about, oh, they should expand it to eight. Now, the four is fine. Four is just perfectly fine. I would also say this: I think if if Washington wins, and I don't care if they don't win impressively, because I've heard people say Washington, if they don't win impressively, could fall out and Michigan could leapfrog them. No, you're you're a Power Five conference. Washington's in a Power Five conference. The Pac-12. Michigan has two losses. Washington has one. Simple. Ain't no way that if Washington wins and beats Colorado tonight, ain't no way that Washington should be leap, leaped frogged by the Michigan Wolverines because Michigan has two losses. Bottom line, point blank, it is what it is. Michigan, you want to be there, you shouldn't have lost to Iowa. Bottom line. and that game, Michigan and Ohio State was fun. That was some big-time football there. A little sloppy at times, but it was a nice defensive struggle. It was fun. It went down to the wire, went into overtime. You couldn't ask for anything better. But here's the thing. Just to recap, if the four teams win, the top four teams win at this point in time, Clemson, Alabama, and Washington. If they all win Ohio State, as far as I'm concerned, they're in. But if those three teams win, it's going to stay Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Washington. Maybe Clemson leapfrogs Ohio State. I don't know. But I think it's going to stay that way. Now, if Washington loses, I think Michigan might sneak in there. At four, if Washington and Clemson both lose, I think Michigan and the winner of Wisconsin, Penn State, fill out the playoff bracket. So it could be three Big Ten teams in the championship in the playoffs. I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, I don't know. Again, if, if Washington wins. Clemson wins again and Alabama doesn't matter. Clemson and Wandson, if they win, it's going to stay, those top four teams. We'll see what happens. I mean, if you're a college football head, this is a great, 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 great weekend for you. I mean, great football is going to be played. and Some things will be decided. So it's going to be fun. It's most definitely going to be fun. So – Moving on now. And again, it's going to be fun. And I can't wait to see what happens. Sad story. Joe McKnight, from a chief, from a jet, from a USC Trojan, shot and killed in a road rage incident. I mean, <sighs> killed by a 54 year old man, Ronald Gasser. Ronald Gasser, who was arrested but later released at this point in time, has not been charged. Apparently, people saw, witnesses saw, you know, a, a big-time heated exchange between Joe McKnight and between Gasser. And then we heard, you know, some witnesses. We, we, we've we heard, heard some things where possibly Gasser was standing over McKnight when he fired a shot. But now we're hearing that may not be correct. We don't know. Obviously, they're trying to sort this whole thing out. And the thing at this point, it could be a self-defense situation. I don't know. Should Gasser be out? Ugh. Probably not, in my opinion. But at the same time, they have to figure out what happened. And you weren't there. I wasn't there. None of us were there. But it was it's an unfortunate situation. And here's also the thing. You got to be careful with these, you know, these road rage incidents because you don't even know what, you don't even know what people have, what people's mind and mental makeup is. You just don't know. So, I mean, somebody cut you off, keep it moving. They didn't hit you. They cut you off, keep it moving. I mean, because at the end, and, and again. I don't know what happened, and I'm not blaming Joe McKnight. I'm not blaming Gaz, I'm not blaming anybody at this point because I'm not sure what happened. But one thing I am sure about is that road rage rage incidents are dangerous. Again, condolences to the family of Joe McKnight, 28 years old way too young to be dying. No one to die at the age of 28. Let's be clear about that. But, I mean, it's it's an unfortunate situation. Seemingly, Joe McKnight's a good guy. You know, we haven't heard anything. I mean, he had some issues. You know, I think he had a, what was it? Did they have a DUI or, or he was arrested for outstanding? I don't want to say DUI. Let me, man, let me take that back. But he was arrested on an outstanding traffic violation at one point in time. So no DUI. Let me clear that up. And you know I made sure, but it was not a DUI situation. But he is a you know Louisiana kid, and seemingly a good dude. It's an unfortunate situation. It's a sad situation where where, where guys are dying, and something that you would think on the surface could be prevented. We've all been cut off and we've all been angry. But the reality of the situation, you just don't know what another person has or, or, or what's going through another person's head. You don't know the mental makeup of people at time. You just don't. It's just something that's seemingly you think would be, could have been avoided. It's a sad story. And I guess at the same time, you wonder if Gasser was a 24-year-old black man, would he have been released? I don't know. I don't know. But being that he is a 54-year-old white man, I think on some level he may get the benefit of the doubt time will be to judge that and we'll see what happens and obviously they have to sort through what they need to sort through to figure out what exactly happened so we'll see what happens but at the end of the day Joe McKnight's dead Joe McKnight is dead and it's, and it's an unfortunate situation no man no man no man no man should die At the age of 28. Especially. Something so senseless. As this. I mean. Sad. Really is. But we'll see how this whole situation plays out. And um, again. My condolences. To the family. Of Joe McKnight. Let's go on now. Um. The NBA. And, you know, it's kind of hard to transition from that type of story because it's just sad, man. It's just – it's sad to see young people die. It's just sad. It's really sad to hear, to see. But we go on. Um, The NBA. We look at the NBA now, and I think at this point – One of the biggest stories is what's happening in OKC with the great Russell Westbrook. I mean, Russell Westbrook at this point in time, you look at the stats, 31 per. He's leading the team in rebounds, assists, and points. He's doing everything. And steals, by the way. (laughs) I mean, so he's doing it all. He's messing around and averaging a triple-double after 20 games. And so now we're in Oscar Robertson territory. Now we have a guy who possibly could do this. He might be able to get it done. I I doubted it because I just didn't think anybody could, could keep it up where You're getting 10 rebounds, getting at least 10 assists a game. And he's a guard. And he's he's down there getting some rebounds for his basketball team. And oh, by the way, they're 12 and 8. Four and a half behind the Golden State Warriors for the best record in the Western Conference. So, a lot of basketball to be played. But this is an amazing story. And it's hard to root against Russell Westbrook. I, I I can't root against Russell Westbrook. I love, I love, I heart Russell Westbrook. He's a beast. He's an animal. He comes, and he comes, and he comes some more. I mean, he comes at you. He's competitive, a big-time player. Maybe the best point guard in the league. He is the best point guard in the league. He is the best point guard in the league. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't – here's the thing. Those boys in Golden State are going to cancel each other out in terms of MVP MVP consideration. Obviously, you got to think about James Harden because he's doing some things too. But you look at James Harden, LeBron, I guess, at some point. Throw Kevin Durant in there, sure. You know, maybe DeMar DeRozan at one point. But here's the thing. Chris Paul, of course. Clippers playing some big-time basketball. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, If Russell Westbrook finishes the year, Averaging a triple double, I don't care what their record is. You're the MVP. You're the most valuable player. I don't care what your record is. You're the most valuable player in this league. If you, Russell Westbrook, average a triple double for the year, I don't care what. That, I don't care. You're five hundred or above most most definitely win the MVP. Now, if you're a little bit under 500, you're still averaging a triple-double? You're still messing around and averaging a triple-double? You're the MVP. You're the real MVP. I don't care what kind of record the Golden State Warriors got. I don't care what kind of record the LA Clippers have. I don't care what record the Cavaliers have. I don't care if Russell Westbrook finishes the year averaging a triple-double, he is the real MVP, period. Point blank, no argument. It's been years. What about fifty plus years since any anybody since anybody has averaged a triple double? Do you know what you have to do to average a triple double? Do, do you know what you you got to affect three areas of the game? A lot of areas of the game. Obviously, the scoring—he can do that in his sleep. The assists—you still you got to find a way to get those ten plus, and those rebounds, and re, you know, getting those rebounds and, and, and getting on the glass is a part of defense. Because if you rebound the basketball on the defensive end, you end the possession for the other team. And obviously, if you get a rebound. On your end, you continue a possession for your team. So I just look at Russell Westbrook and all the things that he affects and all the things that he does. And as far as I'm concerned, again, if he's just a little bit above 500 or even, 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 even if he's a little below 500, triple-double is a triple-double. He's a walking triple-double, and he surpassed LeBron James in terms of career triple-doubles. I mean, this all started last year where he just became a triple-double machine, and he's continued triple-doubling. He continues to mess around and get a triple-double. He is a walking triple-double. He's the MVP at this point. And, again, I think at the end of the day, he continues this up. And I think barring injury, I think he's going to do it. I really think he's going to do it. I think he's going to win. I, mean, I think he's going to get for average triple-double. I didn't think that was possible. I thought maybe he would end up close to 30 points a game. Maybe like eight rebounds, eight assists. So he get close. But I didn't think he would be in this position where he's averaging a triple-double. That part I didn't think was possible. I didn't think that was possible. But he's doing it. He's done it. we doing it, I should say. And he's close to getting it done. Well, not close. He still got sixty plus games left. And again, not to call out Stephen A. E. Smith, I just remember him saying that this NBA season was kind of a foregone conclusion, kind of be boring. I reiterate, this, I reiterate this, and I reiterate this, and I reiterate this, and I reiterate this, and I reiterate this. You got a lot of exciting players in this league around this league, in a lot of our NBA cities, LeBron and Cleveland, DeMar DeRozan in Toronto, Lowry, even made in Chicago, Jimmy Butler, you know, Boston with Isaiah Thomas and, and those boys, Milwaukee with Giannis, you know, Pistons with Andre Drummond, Knicks with Porzingis and Melo, Pacers with Paul George, Business with Wall and Beal, Philadelphia with Embiid, Golden State with what they have the big four, San Antonio, Kawhi, LA, Blake, Chris Paul, Rockets, James Harden, OKC, Russell Westbrook, even the Jazz with Solomon, Willard, Sacramento, with Boogie Cousins, the Pelicans, Anthony Davis, Minnesota with Wiggins and cat. So there's a lot of cities where you can see a lot of great NBA play. We're going to bring in a guy now. We're going we're gonna to go back to football. Del Stuckey. of the San Diego Chargers. Chargers got a big victory. The other day against the Houston Texans. Let's bring him in now. Charger safety. Daryl Stuckey, Daryl, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Oh,
1: thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Now, no, no problem. Now, Darryl, big victory against the Texans in Houston. Houston has not lost in Houston all year long. But the most important thing for you guys is you keep your playoff hopes alive. Your defense played a lot better. Three picks on Brock Osweiler. Talk about the play of your defense.
1: I think the biggest thing about our defense is that we've been playing together. We've been doing an amazing job at just playing as one unit. And I think, obviously, in that game, we did a lot of things well. We made them play the way we wanted, wanted them to play and not at, to their strength and couldn't, didn't let them get the run game going.
0: Right, and, and that's always important when you can stop a team's run game and you put the pressure on Brock Osweiler, you got to three picks, and that was a big-time thing for you guys. I look at you guys defensively. You had some struggles throughout the course of the year. But do you feel like this game, is this a game you guys can use to take
1: off? Defensively, I think we did a lot of things well this year, and we just had, haven't been able to make plays in key key points of the game that we needed to. I think the biggest thing right now is that we just have to be consistent and be able to uh, find a way to finish the game and find a way to play at a high level. and we can look at this game as a game that we really take off, but I mean, we're in the top in the NFL in turnovers, forcing turnovers, and I think that we're obviously we got one of the leading interception leaders of the NFL in, in our secondary too. And I think that there's a lot of big things we can do in our defense that we can really help. And I think obviously right now it's just minimizing the big plays, not allowing teams to get those big chunk yards on us, and minimizing the penalties at the end of the wrong time of the game on special teams and other courses of uh, units of the of the game, but at the same time, I think it is a, a big game for us to keep going, especially to make December the, the month we want it to be and keep us in playoff hopes, like you said.
0: We're talking to Charger safety, Darryl Stuckey. And, Darryl, I look at you guys, man. You guys lost a lot of football games in a lot of crazy ways. I mean, you had that big league against the Chiefs. You lost that game, the Saints game. I mean, just a few other games as well. But put into words how tough some of those losses were for you guys.
1: I think at the end of the day, obviously close games are tough, especially when you feel like you beat yourself more than just let your opponent win or if, when you just think it, when you don't get dominated and you literally just make bad plays or just some crazy circumstances happen or you allow certain things to happen that should never happen. I, I think obviously those are tough losses with NFL. It's hard to win, but at the same time, a loss is a loss. There's no asterisks. There's no parentheses next to it. There's no abbreviations. It's just a loss. And, but obviously in the same moment as much as those losses hurt, they also inspire you because you know that you should have won and you know you're not a bad team. You know you've got to make better decisions in certain situations or finish the play or finish the game off the way you need to finish it.
0: The record says 5-6, but you feel like your team is much better. I feel like the Chargers are much better, but how much better are you guys in that 5-6 and six mark?
1: I mean, we're a 5-6 team. There's no change in that. There's no, I can't sit here and say, oh, we're better than this, but this is what we are right now. Now we can now we can grow from this. And we can get better, and we can prove that we're better than this. But in the NFL, I mean, every every play, every game is a, is a, is built off of what if. And <laughs> so, I, I can't sit here and say we're better than five and six right now because that's what our record is—the reality of our record. And do I believe we should be? Our record should be different. Yes, of course I do. But at the end of the day, we have to be honest with ourselves because that's the only thing that's going to push you to do more and to get better and to make sure those things don't happen again. It's to be honest with yourself, and I'm not going being be in denial and say we shouldn't be 5-6. Right now we are, and that's the reality of it, and we're we're going to be better, and we're definitely going to change that. We're definitely going to get to 500 and keep pushing toward the playoffs.
0: Now, why do you think you guys had hard times closing games? What was it that, that, that kept you from
1: closing football games out? I mean, it's a variety of things. From Some people call it bad luck, some people call it an omen. Some people just call it a bad situation, but I know for a fact that every situation that we've had a opportunity in this year, we knew how to finish it. We just found it. we just did not execute it, or things just didn't work out the way we um, thought they would. Or sometimes a team does something they normally would not do. <laughs> sometimes they do exactly what we expect them to do, but one player did something different that changed the aspect of the whole play. But at the end of the day, you can't pinpoint. Exactly how, because some of the circumstances that happened were against like 15%, 10%, or 5% chance of us losing in certain situations. I mean, in in the Saints game, I I think we lost that game. One of, one of I don't know, the only way I can imagine us losing it with the time on the clock and the amount of points they're behind. And it's, it's just one of those things to where you can't really pinpoint and blame and point fingers here and say, I think it was this, because it was a different situation every time. None of the situations were exactly the same. So at the end of the day it's uh it's it's burned by <laughs> trial and error, and you just the way well, you get gain experience and get better and right now we got a lot of young guys playing a lot of young guys got a lot of experience now. We got guys that were in situations before to where they weren't even active, and now they're active and playing at a high level. so I think it, the biggest thing is we learn from our mistakes and we learn from the situations and we knew the situations most of the time going in it just it just didn't work out. I mean it's tough to win in the NFL. It's so many things that have to go right for you to pull off a victory in NFL even though so many teams make it look easy. Some of the games we've won we made it look easy. But at the same time I, we definitely have to be appreciative of it and I think a lot of it like I said either omen bad luck or just bad execution. We're talking to Chargers safety. Daryl Saki how long does it take for you to get over a loss? <laughs> how many days does it take? Up until you start planning for the next one. Because cool once you start planning for the next one, you you spend time wasting. Thinking about the last one, you're never going to fully comprehend what you're looking at for the for the current game you're getting prepared for. So for me, after I plan to get, play the game and <laughs> come back in that next day and watch the film, by the time the film's over with, I'm over that game. I'll move on to the next one okay. and think about what, what I did wrong and how I can correct it or how I can find a way to do better at something that I did good at how to, how to be great at it or even to add something to my game that can help me for the next week or emphasize something that will prepare me for the opportunities the next the next week.
0: So, Daryl, you're still big time special team player for the Chargers. Talk about your play at this point of the season.
1: It's uh I think I'm playing pretty good, but it's not consistently consistently at an excellence level or at, at, at a level that i would want it to be at um i think i have a lot of things i can get better at and just being consistent especially on the return in the return game i think coverage wise i think we're doing pretty good uh, for the circumstances that we have i think i mean i think Kazer's doing a great job as a rookie punter coming in and showing a lot of touch punting in and has quite a few inside the 20 at this point right now and I think uh, Lambeau obviously is doing a pretty good job for us. It's a great job. Obviously, we got a lot of touchbacks this year, so that minimized my opportunity to make tackles on kickoff. <laughs> but at the same time, um, I got a recovery for a fumble on um, against the uh, Dolphins. Um, and then a couple other things. But I just have to be consistent and keep our special teams at a level to where it's above the standard of anybody else in the NFL. And if we're not number one or top three in the NFL, I'm not playing well enough. I'm not playing good enough. Um Obviously, I'm getting double teamed a lot, which is good because that means uh, one of my other teammates are free or soloed. So it's an awesome opportunity for us. I think we got a lot of great guys that make a lot of big plays in special teams, especially on punt. I think um, Dexter McCoy has made a lot of great plays, especially uh, Joshua Perry has made a lot of great plays. Derek Watt has made a lot of great plays on in coverage. Um, seeing that he obviously is a fullback and offensive player, he's made a lot of great plays on kickoff and punt this season, and obviously Adrian Phillips, Phillips going back in at PP. I mean, we, we have a lot of guys that have been interchangeable, especially at PP. I think we've had three or four different PPs this year, and they all done really well because of injury. But I think we're definitely getting settled in, and our young guys are getting experienced at special teams. And we're definitely holding it to a standard that's above normal, but we're not there yet. We, we're definitely not in the top of the NFL right now, and we have a ways to go, but I think we're, we definitely are a force to be reckoned with in the NFL, though. Let me ask you this.
0: I mean, you look at, you talked about the lack of your opportunities because of touchbacks and everything. And there are a lot of touchbacks in the NFL, in today's NFL. With the focus on player safety and everything, do you envision a day, a time, where there won't be kickoff returns?
1: Would it be called football still? (laughs) I guess it would have to be, right? I'm just saying the history of the game is the reason why they called it football is because that's the way it started, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that to take kickoffs off, out of it would take away the beauty of pure athleticism, pure com- competition and open field play. I mean, fans are excited about kickoff. I mean, we know the uproar of <laughs> when they took kickoff out of the Pro Bowl. <laughs> fans right. weren't that right. happy about it at first. I mean, I think any time you punt the ball or kick the ball, it's it's a big play to the fans. It's exciting to see the to see a some a ball returned or to see an amazing tackle or just in an open space or I mean it's a big momentum shift opportunity in the game and I think to, to minimize that will be I mean, you'll take away from a lot of the entertainment, a lot of the enjoyment and a lot of the atmosphere. It boosts a lot of energy, especially for the defense or the offense.
0: I totally agree. I mean,
1: I think if you
0: take out the kick, to me, there's nothing better than a kickoff returns and a punt return. I mean, those things are exciting. Like you said, I mean, it's an exciting part of the game. I hope they don't take it out. I don't think they'll be taking it out anytime soon. But, you know, there's always the possibility with the thought of player safety and everything. We shall see. Let me ask you this. What What,
1: what makes it unsafe? What makes it so unsafe? What makes it so unsafe?
0: I know there's been talk. You know, at one point, they used to allow you to have, a, you know, a multiplayer wedge. They kind of got rid of yeah, that, that a little was, bit.
1: Yeah, it's been out of the league for a while now.
0: Right. So, um, at, at, at some point, I mean, in terms of onside kicks, they changed the amount of players that can be on the one side. I mean, like, it, you, and and by the way, they they moved it up, so there could be more touchbacks, essentially.
1: So yeah, it's but like, now with the with, with the with the changes they made, you can look up the percentages of how many people get hurt on kickoff now compared to offense or defense. So you don't think it's going to go out? Well, I'm just saying if you look at it, there's no evidence now that it's dangerous because the right. percentages of people getting hurt is not on kickoff right now.
0: I, I, I look. I don't think it should go, but there. I mean, you don't hear it as much this year, but there was talk about it in years past about the possibility of it being taken out. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, it would be an awful mistake. It would be an awful well, I mistake.
1: Think, I, think, I think it was in conversation, and that was because of the wedge. And that was because of um, it wasn't, um, let me see, emphasized enough about the wedge at first when they first took it out. And then teams kept trying to bend the rules at first, but now that they alleviated it as much as possible and made it a clear rule that there can never be more than two guys on the starting on the same level um, going forward as a wedge. It could be two, and one can't join them, one can't be on the same level as them. That'd be a front or behind. They made it very clear, and they've, and they've held it up, and teams are no longer really doing it. So I think the changes they've made have minimized the risk that is really right. on kickoff as well as because of are moving it up and there being more touchbacks now or more kicks out of the end zone, there's less risk that is happening right now. So I, I think, I mean, obviously at the same time, because they, they moved it up, but then they said, that oh, but a touchback ends up to the 25-yard line. So that right there wasn't really a safety thing. That was a thing rewarding the offense for letting it be a touchback. But at the same time, if you're worth a return team for being a touchback and give them the five extra yards, Sort of less likely to bring it out, but that also makes the kickoff less likely to kick it out of the end zone or into the end zone.
0: But I, I guess on some level, getting that extra five yards—if you have any like—if if any hesitation or any thought that maybe you would take it out, or maybe you won't take it out—getting that extra five yards, you might be more inclined not to go out and take the touchback. Yes, yeah, but and at, take the same at the time,
1: 25. it makes the it makes the kickoff team less likely to kick it through the through the end zone too. I'm 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 interested to see what the statistic is at this point of the season compared to last season on how many touchbacks there were last year compared to this year. Because last year when it was at the 20, oh, it was no-brainer. But now it's at the 25. I think teams are motoring it or kicking it high at the goal line more than you last just year. Of teams, and teams this year now are nailing it, though, and, 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 I mean, to against what I just said, they also are catching it three yards deep only and still nilling it and <laughs> so, still taking the touchback. back. So, I mean, kickoff teams obviously are challenging. Now it's a challenge. Now the teams nowadays are just literally challenging each other to bring it or getting each other to bring it out. So, yeah, it's, it goes it's, back and it forth. I think, they, I think they did a great balance of it right now. I, I, it should be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen. But, you know, they, they, they've been messing with the game a lot, so. Hopefully it doesn't Personally I, Personally, I think punt is – there's more risk on punt than there is on kickoff. Tell us why. You- there, there's not as many surprises. Because players get fined for, for blind shots and for um, sneak attacks on kickoff, you're in front of the man. There's no surprise attacks. You can see everybody. I mean, you can run at an angle to where you don't see somebody coming, but there's not too many sneak attacks on kickoff. The only negative about it was full speed at a wedge. They've minimized right. the wedge. And on on punt, I mean, a punt returner can get hit before he even catches it at times, He can just get straight out blasted. And then you have, I mean, obviously, me as a gunner, I get doubled all the time. I mean, double is not a big problem to me, but it becomes a hazard and a danger to a lot of people (laughs) getting doubled as a gunner. I mean, a lot of people can't handle being at gunner. Obviously, you could say, oh, he should have never been out there then, but there's more crackbacks and more dangerous plays happening on punt than there is on kickoff. I mean, you, you see some long snipers just get straight up mauled yeah, on on, on sure. punt, and <laughs> they can't that can't happen to them really on field goals anymore, <laughs> but it happens on it, it happens on punt because now they're, it's an active play, right. and punters are getting hurt on on punt. I mean, on kickoff, there's no risk to the kicker, there's unless he goes and attacks somebody, but I think the biggest thing I, I mean, so you can argue a lot of things about special teams, but it's the pure athleticism. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You call it barbaric or pure athlete and competitive part of the game that makes it exciting for that small amount of time that's there. I mean, it's max effort. You, you run down on the kickoff and get and try to make a play. You're going to be a lot. You're going to be winded. You're going to be exhausted. It's kind of hard to get back up and go on defense. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I mean, at, at the end of the day,
0: the beauty of the NFL, the beauty of football, is the physicality. And on special teams, you get that level of physicality. So, again, I, I just – I hope they don't mess with it. I'm, uh, you know, they mess with a lot of other things, but I just hope
1: they don't mess with that. Uh, let me ask you I this. Think, I think they're in a good place right Go now. I think they'll just fine-tune it. I think they'll just – they fine-tune it pretty good. And they'll look at, look at it. and I think they're in a good place with it right now.
0: Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> let me ask you this. You got the Buccaneers coming to town. They're playing some good football. They beat the Seahawks last week. How do you guys keep the momentum going? How do you guys beat the
1: Bucs? We beat them by playing our game and focusing on what we have to do to execute against them. I think, um obviously Jamison is playing at a high level right now. I mean, he's been remarkable in the pocket and extending plays and keeping his eyes downfield and obviously his receivers are doing do a great job of getting open. When those when that when those things happen, when their play breaks down, and um, obviously this is the first game in a long time that they have both their backs healthy, so we obviously we're going to try to get the run game started. And I think our biggest thing is to make sure that we're solid, and gap sound, and we are executing our plays on defense and offensively. I think that we have to pick and choose our moments and who we want to attack on certain plays, what areas we want to attack, or what covers, whatever covers they're in. Make sure we put our best guys. In their best position to be successful and to make a play, and obviously we have opportunity to keep our run game going and get it going for this game and control the time management of the game and keep the ball out of Tampa Bay's offense's hands and limit them in plays and opportunities. And our defense got to keep make sure we capitalize on opportunities to get three and outs and eliminating big plays, keep the ball in Phillips' hands, and we give our offense opportunities. They're going to score and they're going to make plays and they're going to. Sure. Obviously, keep control of the game. So, as long as we keep doing that, and our special teams the opportunity is to make some big returns. Hopefully, this this um, weekend, and so it'll be exciting. I think it'd be real exciting for us, and especially in unit, we want to, if we have opportunity to get it down inside the 20-yard line, we're, we we want to make sure we, we do the best we can. And if we have opportunity to to get a tackle inside the 20, if they bring it out of the end zone, or or opportunity to get a big return, I think we're we we have some good concepts going. That, Put in a position to do such. So, so let me ask you this
0: now: You you look at you guys, five and six, five games left. Just looking at things, it's almost like you guys pretty much have to win out to make the playoffs at this point. Is that the mindset of your football team at this point in the
1: season? We have to win this weekend. Is where our mindset is. The rest of the season doesn't matter if we don't take care of this week, and um, so we don't. <laughs> Obviously, that's the big picture. Is we gotta to secure our best chance, <laughs> the highest percentage of us getting in, is for us to take care of what we can and to win out. Yes, but for us, focusing on right now, because nothing else matters. If we don't win this, we can take care of this week and this week alone. And I think that that's our focus. That's all we're focused on this, this week.
0: So one week at a time, one game at a time, is how you guys are going to approach it.
1: So let me ask you this. Yeah, we're going to approach it one moment, one opportunity, one play, one decision at a time. From there, (laughs) you you move to the next one after that decision is (laughs) made. So let let me ask you this. You are
0: dedicating your week 13 cleats to a special cause. Tell us about that.
1: The Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, it's a organization that's been around for a very long time. Um, and Coach Landry, um, He had a a vision, a vision that if athletes could be used to promote brands like Nike, um, brands and other brands that, that use them for marketing purpose, why can't we use athletes to promote our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Why can't we use them to promote a safe, positive environment? What it truly means to be selfless, what it means to strive for excellence, what it means to be a great team mate and also as a good person what it means to actually strive for something beyond yourself in and out of sport. And so in that case, the concept of a huddle wasn't just about football or anything else. It was about coming together as one fellowship, Um, like holding each other accountable. Because in a huddle, obviously the analogy is about football, but in the huddle, everybody's connected. There's no um, distance. There's no separation. So, Going into Social Christian Athletes' camp at a young age, I saw what it meant to have a, to the to opportunity to be put into a positive environment and pushed towards greatness, to where you can try something and not feel shamed. You can work at it, may even fail at it at first, and not feel like you shouldn't try again. And I think leaving that, I wanted to create that no matter where I went. So that was the person I am. That's the person I am today, the person I will be tomorrow, <laughs> and the person I am to my kids and to my wife. So I want to make sure when, if you're going to reach your full potential, you got to first get over the fear of failure, the fear of trying and not getting it the first time. So for me, the First Christian Athletes, they bring that to campuses, whether it's middle school or high school, and they have these camps. For instance, out here in San Diego, or California, we have the big all all total athlete camp at UCLA. It's a five-day camp, and it's all high school students. There's 19 different sports that are um, – present during this camp. And there's over 700 <laughs> teams. And they stay on wow. UCLA's campus in the dorms. All meals are provided. And they're there for five days. And they practice once or twice a day. Um, and they have breakout sessions where they're with their peers in a group together um, of the same, obviously, um, gender. <laughs> and then also, <laughs> or should I say, the same sport and gender, because obviously they, they're, they, don't, they don't do uh, <laughs> co-ed dorms. High school kids, and but the, the the whole concept of it is to build a positive environment where, where you can excel without shame, where you can live without shame, and to walk into auditoriums where every kid in there is not just praising Jesus but encouraging each other, and to to watch on the football field to where you learn to play the game out of passion and love instead of hatred. So I'm gonna be honest, it's hard to play this game out of hatred when you achieved every dream you ever had. <laughs> it's hard right. to find motivation to keep playing this game when you played out of aggression and you want for nothing. So what, what, what then is your passion? So if you only played this game for money, then you feel empty. If you only played it because of aggression and overcoming, now you only have to overcome yourself because you've achieved your dreams. So the environment of playing beyond yourself and just to strive for excellence as a person and not just as a football player because we never can change suddenly from our habits. And for you to be a great player on the field, you have to be consistent in your life and take care of everything outside of football. And obviously, for most of us as kids, football was an escape. But that's because we were like sponges. We couldn't control our environment, and we just kind of soaked up everything that was around us. But as we got older, we were able to control our environment and control what we soaked up and able to filter out the things we didn't want in our lives. But anytime we're squeezed, whatever we soaked up in our lives comes pouring out. So if you can control your environment and start filtering your life and surround yourself in a positive environment, then you can filter out the things you don't need in your life and can stay on track and stay on path to be successful and not have any shame to keep trying or to keep striving and have people that can kind of help push you and motivate you and keep you on the same path that you want to be on. And I think that FCA does its best <laughs> to, to, to do that for kids and do that for um teenagers and adults and coaches so they have a coaching ministry obviously a campus for uh, middle school and for high school i i host a free football camp with them here in san diego this has been uh, this will be the fourth year this year i uh, host a camp in kansas city they're, they're both are free um every year and then i also host the golf tournament in san diego it's uh cinco de mayo it's may 5th at la costa in san diego this uh, coming up 2017 year and it, it's amazing. Obviously, last year we were able to raise over eighty thousand dollars at this golf tournament, wow. and we also threw in a spa package because La Costa is one of the best in the country has one of the best spa packages. Never seen so many wives and spouses and significant others excited for the husbands <laughs> to go play golf. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And, and, and now the husbands and, and the others had no choice but to stay for the banquet because their wives were all glowing and feeling good because of the spa, So they wanted to dress up and go to the banquet. <laughs> so it was awesome. <laughs> so let me ask
0: you this. I know you're a Christian, and, you know, Jesus, God, is a big part of your life. The Bible does talk about how hard it is for a rich man to make it into heaven. How difficult is it for you? being that you have a decent amount of money, being that you have a decent amount of success, how difficult is it for you to stay humble?
1: I think the biggest thing is that that verse speaks volumes to me, and obviously I dwell on it a lot. I think the biggest thing that that verse was saying to not only just me but anybody in, in this position is that when you get to a certain level of, or accumulation of wealth or achievements or um Sometimes you forget how to serve. You forget how to do the dirty work. You forget how to do the grunt work. No different than when you get promoted at work. You forget what the entry level was like. And in that moment, if you forget how to serve, seeing that me as a believer, Jesus came here, even though he was (laughs) the head, he came to serve. He said to be an extraordinary leader, you have to first learn to serve. And even as a leader, you should serve even more. So me as a husband, in my house. I'm a partner with my wife. For me to be a leader in my house, I have to be willing to serve my wife, to serve my kids, and to serve um, the household whenever I'm home. And whenever I leave, what I'm doing outside the house, I'll still be serving the house. And I think for me, I think the difficulty comes because in the position I'm in, I get exalted. I get pushed up sure. and praised about the things that I do. And so easily do I start hearing that and falling into that, yeah, I shouldn't have to wait in the line. I shouldn't have to do this. (laughs) I mean, I think the hardest thing is when you're done with your career and you realize you have to go to the waiting room to get medicine or to get checked out. Because obviously, we have team physicians and team surgeons right now, so we don't really wait in waiting rooms. (laughs) So I think the biggest thing is after you're done playing, that's when the reality really hits you. That you have to be humble about it, and that because a lot of people that's normal for us right now. I mean, I've been in the NFL seven years, and I was in college for five, for four and a half. So that's over a decade that I haven't had to really go to a waiting room because <laughs> there's team positions and team and team surgery. You, you, get, you get sick, you go to work, <laughs> you, 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 hurt, you hurt yourself, you go to work. It's a bad day, you go to work. And so it's one of those things to where when I'm done, I gotta, I'm it's going to change everything. And it's so easy that players think it's – they think of it as insignificant. They don't feel significant anymore because nobody is urging to serve them. And I, I think, for me, that's why I do so, many, so much community service because I know it's based on fortune and not just wealth. As easy as I got it, I could lose it. So I think a lot of times I have to realize that um, there was a philosopher, um, Seneca, that said uh, – Slaves and masters wasn't just a condition of who's greater, or inferior, or superior. It was more about fortune and misfortune. They said, for every for everything that's built, somebody had to build it. Somebody had to pay for it. So who am I to look at the servant less than I? Right. For I could not strive if he wasn't willing to do what I don't have time to do. That's, that's so good. So for me. That's good. I firmly believe that uh, if you're going to succeed at something, there's going to be somebody to help you. Whether they're going to volunteer or you're going to pay them to help you, you're going to need help. Or if they're going to just find a way to help you no matter what, but you're going to need help. And no matter what, there's always going to be an entry level. And so any great thing that happens, the only thing the difference is, are you going to be intentional on with your influence that you have over that person during the process? For sure. For sure. I mean, I, I would just think, and don't get me wrong.
0: I mean, anytime you try to sacrifice, anytime you try to live for Christ, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But for a guy like you in the position that you're in, I mean, I don't envy you at all because it's got to be tough to stay faithful to, to God and to that situation, being that you have all those things that can come your way, the level of temptation the, the, just the things that can come at you, man.
1: So I, I don't envy you. I think I think the biggest thing is that I mean I'll be honest. When I look at the average person that's making bad decisions and they don't have when I say the average person, I mean the person that's not in the NFL. I'm not saying that anybody's less than I'm. Just saying, average person. The NFL is not average. It's not. It's a fantasy. It's, it's it's a fantasy. And anybody outside of this fantasy that's in the regular world than what we're in and what we have to deal with. It's the same. You have to look for trouble to find trouble. I'm in the NFL. I've been in it for seven years, and I have—I still have to work to get myself into trouble. I've avoided it because I, as a man, your greatest strength is to know your weaknesses, <laughs> as well as your strengths, and how to maneuver your life to put yourself in position to be successful. The difference in football. So, for me, if I know my strengths and weaknesses, I never put myself in a position to fail. And so if I want to be successful as a believer, successful as a husband, successful as a father, I have to know my strengths and my weaknesses and not put myself in a position to be exploited because I'm vulnerable or left exposed. So for me, I'm a homebody. I, I, I spend a little more in San Diego just to have an oasis and have a, a, a comfortable home because me and my wife are homebodies. I don't, I don't envy or seem to go out um, that much at all. I love movies. I love laughing, fellowshipping, and I mean, having friends over, family, um, playing games, joking, making jokes, and, and I love things like that. So, for me, it's, the, the I mean, I'll, I'll have a glass of wine or a glass of scotch here and there, cause or bourbon or whiskey, but it, it, it's, for me, it's not the scene that I've seen. It's the fellowship and the friends that I want to be around to hang out with. And for me, I don't I don't put myself in position to get into trouble. And I think it's just the beauty of life that you have to find out for yourself and put yourself in the, to, that you have to mature over time. And I, I think that um, no matter what position you're in in life, you have to look for trouble. It doesn't just come waving at you. I mean, we do have regulations um, in our hotel rooms, or, or whether it's a security <laughs> on our floors or – I mean, you have to work <laughs> to put right. yourself – I mean, to me, it's too much work to be unfaithful to yourself, to, your, to my wife, or to my faith. So <laughs> it's, it's too much work, and nobody's conscience is clear enough to, to work that hard. And, and I think at the end of the day,
0: you got to write. you got to go home. You, you, anytime you're out in those streets, you always run into trouble. you got to go home. That would be my advice to anybody who's married and trying to be married successfully. You got to go home. Yeah, yeah sure <laughs> is.
1: Life is hard enough. I, I, yeah, life is hard enough. I don't need to put any more weight on myself. And I, and I think that um, when I was in college, I had a phrase I, li- I, I lived and worked by day in and day out that I, that I, start, that I leaned on my last few, few years there. And it was a man who can control, a man or woman, so let's just say a person who controls control his own desires, can conquer anything because our biggest obstacle is ourselves. Most people in the world don't, don't reach their full potential because of the fear of failure. And me as a man, I firmly believe if I can cultivate and create energy and passion and control the direction I push it in and be intentional in the direction I push it in, I won't be as distracted with trying to things behind closed doors. So if I put myself in the light, live in the light and allow myself to focus on what I want to strive for and what I want to be great, teammate great husband <laughs> great father and over all those things my faith rams over all those things then i, I want to worry about those other things that have been distractions to me so i think if you live in the light you ain't got to worry about what you do in the dark because you will never work back to it for sure and now at it the end tempting. of the day everything is tempting obviously it is tempting if everybody's doing it and you're not but at the right. same time you have to see the big picture i mean for me i believe that as a man i I have to reject passivity. I can't be passive about anything. I have to stand for what I believe in. And then the second thing is I have to lead courageously. I can't be timid in the way in which I lead. I can't be unconfident. I have to be courageous in the way I lead. And then at the same time, I have to be responsible for my actions. But all three of those things, I have to always see the big picture and how I'm going to influence people around me or how my decisions are going to alter the reality of my life and the people that I'm responsible for. So for me, that's 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 the way I live. And at the end of the day what
0: happens in the dark eventually comes to light anyway. So, like you said, it's very well, yeah, important. The sun always
1: comes up. The sun always for sure. comes up. And people think people think that dark is a substance, but really it's it's a residual effect. It's it's when it's the absence of light. <laughs> so <laughs> darkness is only present because of the absence of light. Darkness never overbears light. Light always rids of darkness. For sure, for sure. So so fans,
0: make sure you go to the website livingforone.com, that's livingforone.com and support all the great things going on with Charger Safety, Daryl Stuckey doing some big things in the community. So get behind it, livingforone.com. Daryl, absolute pleasure talking yes, to sir. you. Yes
1: sir. Which nothing about the best of my journey. Would love to do it. I again. appreciate it. Have a great one, Paul.
0: Daryl Stucky. Pleasure. Pleasure talking, talking to him. him. You know, getting his insight on everything. And we'll see if the Charger can keep it going this week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Before we get out of here, you got Rob Gronkowski. Excuse me. can we say his name? Rob Gronkowski Gronk. Out for the year, which is huge for the Patriots. I just saw a tweet by Albert Breer of the NFL Network. You had the Patriots team doc, an ex-Patriot team doc, who said he's never seen a player with three, uh, you know, lower back, disc injuries, surgeries come back. He's never seen that happen. And had never seen a person make a comeback from that. So that's something to think about with Gronk moving forward. I want to thank Daryl Stuckey for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash where you can listen to this show. Another great shows. follow us on Twitter at go 4 For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend.